here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop calls. I am so excited to have my sister here, Natalie Meebane. Natalie, how are you? I'm doing great. So, Natalie, first and foremost, I know you and I share something that is very dear to us. We are both have roots from the island of Trinidad and Tobago. Yep. So, I need you to say your name in your best Trinidadian accent. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I could do my name with the accent. I'd have to say a phrase that I would commonly hear my mom say, because that's typically how it can come out. Like it's coming out, if it's she's, coming out now. Where she's now, like, fact, uh, I, I, I asked you a question. So <laughs> okay. say, say what, what is climate justice? And say it in your best. Oh, that's hard because my mom has never said that phrase like in a no, sentence but to you me. Know, okay. Okay. okay so, um, so I, I'll lead into it. So okay. <laughs> you just came home and there's some nice curry. Um, I don't know if you eat meat. Do you eat meat? I do. I love curry chicken. I love okay. jerk okay. chicken. I love, okay. I do well, everything curry, with jerk curry chicken. Goat, you, you eat goat? Oh, I love curry goat. Okay. All right. Now, all the folks listening right now say goat. <laughs> we, 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 they go hard. Goats are goat. abundant. But goats are abundant. <laughs> you don't even have to do anything with them. They just walk around. You just, <laughs> they just, they just walk just, around. They're very so, <laughs> accessible. <laughs> so, so you just came home and you got some curry some some goat roti okay. with some mobby and some oh, the mobby. <laughs> so that uh, will put you in your mood for your accent okay, now I feel it. and then and then I walk in out of nowhere say oh my god Rev's here and then he go and I go Natalie uh, what is climate justice I'd be like um, okay well I was actually going to talk about the curry goat because that would be okay, easy well, go ahead. that's Come memories in. no no no. I'd be like oh, you cook well, no. you cook Say it again. You cook. You cook some roti. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You, you went to it now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I have I, to say words that like I've never said the word climate justice in a trend. Like I'm usually if I'm joking around with my sister, where we would as kids, we would uh we would just tag team to bother my mom. And so we'd be like, we just okay. sometimes just so put I'll on go accents. Into, I'll go into my <laughs> best. Mine is probably worse than yours. I'll okay. go into my best kind of accent. I mean, okay, I start ready. Natalie. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> okay, I'll do mine. I'll just don't don't worry. I'll do it. Um, but like, I feel bad now though. I'm, oh <laughs> I'm like, um, okay, I'll do one that relates to you. Um, Natalie, the parang party about to start. Mm. You know, Lennox is having the parang party again. Oh gosh, this year the food. And that's my mom talking about your father's parang parties. That's right. <laughs> which are amazing. <laughs> You gotta explain parang to everybody. Oh, parang is uh, Trinidadian Christmas music. It's mostly done in Spanish because it's originally from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And you play a, cor- a, cor- a quartet. It's like a the four string guitar, and you sing, and it's loud, and you have to bring uh, something to shake. So your father always said, you know, you gotta bring, you gotta bring a noisemaker. You gotta bring a a, um, a maracas or a something to shake and bang on, and something something to to tap, and then um, it just be real loud. And, then, I love and he that. had to bring a canned food too, because he was like, you know, you gotta bring something helpful. You bring something for the people. So, uh, but yeah, those were the best, best parang parties ever. All right, now go climate justice. You're okay, there now. climate justice. Uh, climate. Oh gosh, it's gonna be too hard. 
because I have to, then when I get, when I start thinking about climate change, I get real like angry. No, that's what I'm saying. So, don't, don't get angry. Oh. <laughs> I know when I'm, when I'm in my Trini world, I'm never angry. That's what I'm so, saying. That's, that's why we got to combine it. That's, that's why we have to mm, combine it. Combining it. That'd be, Ooh. Okay. Let me see. Oh, okay. I'll try. Cause it's like a totally different mind. I got access to a different part of my brain. Yes. Uh, let me say climate justice is everybody having, no, I can't, I can't. It's hard. No, you always, it's, you got, you it's got, too you're hard. You're so close. You're so close. It just you're doesn't right, work for right my there. mind. Come on, Rick, go. We want left side. We okay, want fine. Left it's, side um, brain. For me, okay, fine. This is my interpretation of climate okay. justice then. Climate justice is everyone be able to fit. Everyone be able to eat. Hmm. Like, it's just like, that's it. Like you are all, everyone has what they need. Everybody has what they, what they strive for. Everybody has what they're looking for um, in a way that is abundant in a way that is not, you know, chasing scraps, but actually creating a world where everybody has um, what they should have always had. And that's mm. kind of how I look at climate justice. I look at it as like, if you have justice, period, you have the space in your life to do other things that are joyful. You can't fet and not have clean water. You know, Trinities might believe you can survive on rum, but you actually do need water too. Mm. And so, and you have to have, you know, food. If you don't have food, you can't, how are you going to have an all-inclusive fet without food? And it defeats, you can't do it. And so I think for me, climate justice is just, knowing that you're fighting for the world that you would want for yourself, but you know that everyone in the world deserves and that if they don't have it, it's that's really the cause of, of the main, you know, instability in the world. People don't just start wars mostly because they're bored. It's because there's resources they need or want. So that's sort of my thing of it. Yeah. But I can't, no. it's hard to do it in a climate. Jo- I can't do it in my training voice. No, Cause if I'm talking it. about my I mean, training voice, you, I'll do it in my, you did it as a descendant. Yeah, yeah. Trinidad. So it came out even better. I actually want to know this before we get onto all that. I have to ask you the 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 question that is asked all the time: Who mm-hmm. is Natalie Mebe? Ooh, that's a mm, that's a deep question. I mean, <laughs> I'm just a person who <laughs> wakes up daily and decides how I'm going to have fun. I just mm. wake up daily and decide what what I love to do. And I think I wake up with the mindset of regardless of what's happening around me, which none of us can control, Mm. what can I control and what can I accomplish? And I think for me, it's just, I'm just a person who thought to myself, you know, in terms of whether it's his career or just life in general is, you know, we have a few years on this planet, might as well make the best of it. And I hope, Mm. I hope each day I'm making the best of it. That's the goal. That is the goal. I like that. That's very nice, Natalie. Thank you. That is. Um, why did you get into this work? I mean, because, you know, there's not mm, many of us. Not that many. Who, and we, we, we need to change that, obviously. But mm-hmm. explain how you got into this work. <laughs> well, okay. From the old, old days. I old, like, old, like, old days. The old, old days. When I was like a little kid. Little kid. I've always, you know, back in Saturday morning cartoon days. This is, I'm going to go back and go back. Nineties, eighties, late eighties. Um, <clears throat> go back to you know, I was born in eighty five, so this is I'm go back to like around then. And um, there were always these commercials on TV in Saturday morning cartoons, like interrupting Saturday morning cartoons that were like 
all of a sudden you'd be watching the worst commercial ever of a famine and it'd be like Christian's children's fund and it'd be like 30 cents a day. And it'd show all these people starving. And here I was, you know, like five or something eating, eating cereal (laughs) and being like, ah, I don't like this. And it just never made sense to me. I was in a comfortable home eating cereal watching Ninja Turtles. That was what I was. I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles, still am. And here, suddenly, it shows me these people that are starving. Same okay, full stop. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Oh, my, uh, Leonardo, for sure. Because he's the leader. He has katanas and he's blue. He got the blue and blue's my favorite color. Mm. So I was always, I was Leonardo for Halloween twice back in 1989 and again in 2016. Oh, wow. So just saying. Fun, fun fact. Fun fact, I was I was only did a costume twice one time. I mean, there's only one character. I've, there's only one costume I like was like, I'm going to bring this back. So brought okay. it back. In so back to the, okay. the Christians so, yeah. exploiting the black so, people. The Christians exploiting the black people. <laughs> that was your take. Well, I was five. I didn't know anything. But anyway, I just saw those commercials and it really irked me. I was just like, this is not OK. And I started harassing my parents all the time. I was like, you need to sponsor some kids. And eventually I was I was very persistent because I'll, I'll be annoying if I need to be. Eventually they were like, all right, all right. Probably because they understood that these commercials were going to show up every Saturday morning and there mm. were many more Saturdays coming. And so finally there was like, all right, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> My dad started like, you know, sponsoring whatever kids. And in general, it always made me aware of like, there's this other world outside of my bubble. And it just, it bothered me. It didn't make sense to me that it didn't seem like anyone else cared. It felt like everyone else just went about their day normal and that they were just fine and comfortable with the world being a complete, just horrible place. And then as I grew, I finally learned my senior year of high school, AP Environmental Science was offered. That's advanced advanced placement. Environmental Science was offered for the first time ever in America, my senior year of high school. And I finally opened the textbook first day of school and I read the first page and it essentially said, you know, if the world was a village of a thousand people, and it told the exact numbers of people that had clean water, the exact numbers of people that had a TV, the exact numbers of people that went to college. And it said 1% of the world achieves its bachelor's degree, 1%. Mm. And I was shocked because senior year of co- high school, you could guess what I was doing first semester, what I was about to be doing. Mm. What, what, was, what was that? Oh, well, senior year, you're we about to apply to college. It was September, September, your senior year. You go to college. You got to get ready. Everybody's, you know, getting applications in, writing essays, right? It was application season. It's been so long for you. You're like, I don't know what your seniors be doing. It no, I don't. I, I didn't know back then. Like, I have no idea. I, I what, was... oh. <laughs> 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 like, like, what do you do? Like, right, yeah, but that, that's so common. Like, if you're planning to go to college, that's like a normal thing. It's like, oh, it's September. Got to get these applications in. And here I was reading for the first time ever that only 1% of the world would achieve what I was about to do. And then I realized I was the most privileged 1% of the world. Mm. And it never occurred to me that that was the case. And so I finally realized in that moment that environmental science was not just about trees and animals. It was equal parts about people. And that was what was always missing for me. I was like, I want to feel that merges everything in my heart. And I found that day that environmental science was not just natural world it was how we interacted as human beings in our societies and so i said that's my major and then i picked it that that. day i picked it i picked it that day only 27 schools in america had that major at the time (laughs) it was oh two we we've come a long way 
No, we come a long way. Not that far, but we definitely come farther than to that. to like yeah to get like actual schools and then jump ahead several years, graduate 07. and I go to this little conference, this little thing. Okay. Power shift conference. And I walk into the room of my university because it was University of Maryland. And I walk in and there's this man on the stage who keeps yelling, fight the power over and over again. And the whole audience of thousands of people is yelling back, fight the power. And I was like, what? And then he just, it went on. And I didn't know what I walked into, but I was like, I think I found my home. And I was like, who is this dude? He's black too. Oh my gosh. And I was like, there's black people here. I didn't know black people did this work. And so then, and I was like, what is he? He's a reverend. What is this? What is this militant black reverend yelling, fight the power at all these kids? What is happening? I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm in now. I don't know what this is, but I think they just recruited me. And then that, you know, that militant reverend was you. And so I was like, look at this. And so I walk into power shift. You're on stage yelling. I was like, okay, black people do this too. I'm going to do this. I can do this. And so I decided then that I was going to do this. So wow. I don't know if you knew you were part of like my entire origin story. No, I, I'm, man, I'm, I'm gonna have like I got I got like I'm gonna have tears right now. That's that's amazing. Yeah, you're part of my origin story. It was a Friday night. Got there yeah, a little yeah, the date and everything. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It was, was a Friday night because then that Monday I went lobbying for the first time because we did the end of the conference was a lobby day in D.C. And Van Jones was on the stage and Chris Van Hollen was on the stage. And Van Jones said, remember the member, remember, remember the 5th of November, because this is the day that the revolution starts. Mm. And that's the day I decided I was going to become a lobbyist. Wow. Because I went lobbying for the first time and it was for fun. I was like, let me just come out here. And I loved it. And I never let it go. It took a while to become that is my career. But that day was the day I decided. So that's the origin story. You I and Van love Jones. that. Well, man, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I appreciate that. And and I appreciate you because oh, now you. that I don't feel so bad, I was probably yelling and sweating on that stage and and going, going. You were crazy. telling us to fight the power. And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, OK. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that fight then. So how okay. do you feel about the fight? So now that. I brought you into this. You're not mad at me, are you? You're not like, No, no, no. I always tell everybody, I told people back then, I said, y'all, I'm going to know Reverend Yerwin one day. Like, that's going to be my mentor. Like, he doesn't know me yet. He doesn't know me. But one day he's going to know me. I just used to tell random people that. They're like, all right. And then. (laughs) There you are. (laughs) Here I am. Then I joined the board of PowerShift Network years later. Wow, that's full circle. Yeah, full circle. I would join the board in, uh, it was 2018, uh, January 2018. Just timed off, just timed off the board, but I uh, was on it from 2018 until just now, like a month ago. Well, we got so much to get into. Definitely. definitely. So first, let's get into you, because people need to know that you are a black woman. Yes, definitely. Proud black woman. Oh, hopefully, yeah. yeah Unapologetic. <laughs> is there any other way to be? I'm not, is there, there, is no other are way there to people be, who aren't? There is no, other, there is no way, other way to be, but there are folks who find out a way to be. <laughs> mm, I don't know them. <laughs> but thank God you are not on that on that road, but you are Definitely on not. the road here. A proud black woman who is leading us in this movement. So how do you feel about yeah. that? As a black woman mm-hmm. in the climate movement, um, what do you, th- this is a broad base. We're going we're gonna to get into the nitty gritty. But how do you feel about that? So actually, before you give the broad answer, I really, because you have a, tier of life and evolution in the movement. So I want to start the first part at is that from the standpoint of your just, just, I guess, 
not being naive, but not knowing all the layers of the climate movement, which you know now, how do you feel about the movement from that standpoint as a black woman? And then how do you feel about the movement now that you know what's behind door number three? Hmm. I would say when I first entered back in, and I'll say I first entered the movement the day I first saw you on stage. I'll, I'll pick that as my, I entered the movement because I didn't know what I was going to do after college. I was kind of like, what am I going to do? So that was the so day I found the my power, future. Fight the power. Yeah, that's the day I found my future. I was like, all right, I'm going to do good, that. That's, that's a good point. That should be how it should be every single day. Well, I think you have to have a moment in your life where you just make the decision. And that's yeah. the moment I decided I'm going to be an environmental activist. I'm going to be an organizer. I'm going to be a lobbyist. Like those were the days that that was the day I decided. In. And so I would say since then, at that point, I didn't realize, I guess it's like, you know, there aren't that many people like us in the movement, but you mm. don't let it. You're, you know, when you're really young, the word you're young and naive, right? You don't mm. understand how it might impact you. Um, you try to focus on those who are already doing it. That's why I looked up to you, Majora, Majora Carter, Van Jones, like other folks. Um, but you just kind of like say, I'm going to make a way regardless. Like it's not going to necessarily be easy. And I think as I did start and became like a grassroots organizer and started like going into organizations, I did see the impacts of being black and being a black woman that hit. And they and it is going to impact you. It's not there's there's no way to avoid it. It's just, but it's 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 life in America in general. It's not going to be an exception for the environmental movement. You're going to be just as impacted as you would if you were in any other field, uh, academia or anything else. And so I think the main thing now in terms of looking at the perspective now is maybe I was a bit naive on people that might purposely throw hurdles in your way, mm. like not wanting you in those spaces, that didn't occur to me at the time. In reflection, I can see examples throughout my career where it definitely felt like, you know, you know that you weren't welcomed to be there. But in the end, you focus on why you're there. You're not there for them. You're there for the purpose of why you joined the movement, which That's for right. the climate movement mm -hmm. is stopping the collapse of humanity, which is a burden. That's a bit heavy. And so just focus on the mission at the end and don't worry about people that pull you down at the end. Like they, they can't just don't, don't accept it and continue. I want you to kind of dig deep into that a little bit, because I think a lot of folks who come into the climate movement don't come into the climate movement having to represent a community and a thought. They come into the climate movement just as you, happy to be here. They've had that moment. They've had that epiphany. They're like, yo, we need to save the world. I was a child. I saw things. It all now clicks. I want this world to be a better place. I don't, I don't want people to starve. I don't want people to be hurting. I don't want droughts. I don't want wildfires. I don't want these hurricanes. I think that we can change that full stop. They come into it with all of that energy and just and that love to want to create change. What you're saying is very important, though. You're saying you came into this with the exact same way. Obviously, oh. you were super smart. You you threw in there. You took AP classes in high school <laughs> in that aspect. I could, you know, in, I that, so. in that you went to the University of Maryland. Go Terps College Park. College Park. That, yeah, in College Park, and uh, in that aspect, um, did very well. We're looking to then move on, create, make this your your life. 
But you said something that's interesting. But when you came to the door to do this work, you knew you were. That's why I went to the whole part being a proud black woman. You obviously knew who you were. Oh, yeah. But that became more evident as a part of those trying to exclude you. For yeah. those who don't understand that, who come into this movement and never have felt that, really explain that dynamic in the process. You show up for work your first day. You're hella excited. It's your dream. You experience racism before noon. Oh, God. You realize, not, not oh, noon. God, My God, was this mm. a mistake? You know, it can't be a mistake because you fought tooth and nail to get where you are and you know you deserve it. But you also have a very, very obvious and gl- a glimpse of what's to come. Mm. And you you make a decision. You're not going to let it stop you because what's your other option? Not pursuing your your goals, not following through on your life's mission. Like what? No, <laughs> like I'm not going to wake up old one day and be like, if only. <laughs> so I think it's just, you, you realize that unfortunately <sighs> human, human nature is a certain way. And one of the reasons we are in the climate crisis, one of the big reasons is because of racism, because you can't have it. You can't have, uh, you know, exclusionary zones, zones that we don't care about, places that we're just like, let's sacrifice that. It doesn't matter um, without having it based and rooted in racism. And so racism isn't something that you're only going to see in one place. It's 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 like the air around us. You know, it's part of our culture and our being and our existence. And so. I think that, you know, you just come in and understand that, yeah, maybe some people see you as like a representative, like you're not representing yourself. You're representing all the people before you and after you. Um, And that can give additional pressure. But a lot of times also is I think it comes from if that person succeeds, what's my excuse? And so a lot of times you might encounter racism from it could be colleagues or whoever, because it's sort of like if they do better than me. And they had to overcome all these other, you know, barriers of being a black person in America, then I don't have an excuse unless if that I don't achieve everything I want. And a lot of it comes from, I think, that other times it's just uh, people like being surrounded by their own culture. Right. I love going to Trinity parties. I love being around my culture, but I don't have to have that in order to get work done. That's just, you know, I'll do that in the evenings, right? That'll be my weekend life. Um, but I think sometimes a lot of white people are very comfortable only in their culture because that's all they've ever had to do. Whereas every minority has had to grow up in a space and culture that was not their own. And so we have to be adaptable. We have to be resilient because it's, it's our only choice. And so a lot of it is just comfort of not wanting to adjust, but you know, that's fine. People's comforts are, are going to hold them back because that just makes them less resilient. So I try not to focus on it because it's going to always be there. And it's just one of those things that you just know is a commonality among other people like yourself in the field, which is just how it is sometimes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel you on that and I hear you on that. And I just think that the same way you talked about how um, I touched you, you are obviously touching, and I know this for a fact, you are touching so many. Um, and I, I've heard them, and we're going to get into that, oh, yeah. of a whole whole new 
youth movement generation who talk about you in such glowing and amazing and loving ways. And uh-huh. so, and the reason I bring that up is because then that's a cycle, right? Then that means that somebody touched me, I touched you, you're touching somebody else. But we don't want to touch them in a way that they're coming into this process and they're feeling tired or they're getting beaten down. I don't like that. That's not cool at all, right? That's not cool one bit. So I think that, and we'll get, would you think that, what's a way to solve that? What's a way for us to, is it, is it, I mean, is it, I mean, is, I mean, I don't want to create an apartheid movement um, where we, we have to be off in different, different buckets and silos, but I also don't want people to be in toxic environments where they feel like oh, I'm this, this is this way racism is, and so I'll just deal with it. I mean, how? what are your thoughts on that? I think you just have to fight it like you do every other evil in this world. So fight racism as hard as you fight climate change, because it's the same fight. Fight hunger the same way you fight um, you know, for healthcare. They're all the same fight. I guess I try not to I try not to compartmentalize it because the fight is the fight for humanity. The fight mm. is the fight for the best world, for the justice of the world that you want, you know, like fight for the world that you enjoy and fight for the world that you know everyone deserves. And so in terms of people getting burned out, I think the thing that happens is that, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? We're not, I mean, look at Keystone XL that finally got canceled Come again. On. Again, remember when we were in the streets partying for the first time in 2015? In I remember that. And got arrested in the streets. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about when we were celebrating the initial rejection by oh, President yeah, Obama. It was 72 degrees in November. It was amazing. I don't know. Well, that's probably because of climate change. I don't know. But <laughs> it was nice for that one day. <laughs> and we were partying outside the White House. And then we thought it was over. You know, we popped champagne in my office. And then <laughs> years later, we had to do it again. Um, you don't look at any fight. I mean, that fight was almost almost 13 years. It's it's a marathon. You can't go and say, I'm going to put all my energy and now I'm going to burn out. It's like, nah, you have to sustain yourself so that you have more of you because these fights aren't ending, you know? And it's, I think in terms of burnout, that's real. I think taking on too much is real because we all know we have a little bit of time. Like your hat says nine years. I know what that means. I know what that means, like what that nine year deadline is. And that's stressful. <laughs> like, oh, my God, nine years. And if we don't do the changes now, we lock in the pollution to make it, you know, we, we lock in the pollution now that will then produce the emissions for the next nine years. And so I think it's just we get overwhelmed and sometimes we forget the joy. Um, and if you don't have the joy as well, then you're going to you're going to just be sad and life you only got one life too on this earth you better use it that's why you got your, that's why everybody needs to use the Trinidad voice i don't care they, well i i can't it's hard it takes too much concentration i have to think about it but no but it's but i'm always i'm always my Trinidad voice is always in my mind but like <laughs> it's um that's why is you know actually being Trinidadian it it kind of helps a bit because our secret weapon is partying which i mean yes. listen coronavirus has kind of made that impossible right now because you gotta That's be crazy. safe gotta be safe right carnival would have been approaching uh, next month and it hurts but um, you know we're getting we're getting through we're getting through um but part of the kind of culture that i'm from is your life is meant to be enjoyed and you're meant to celebrate all the time. And you don't need reasons. People say like, oh, it's your birthday. I guess you're going to have a party. It's like, it's a Tuesday. So why not? Yeah. 
And so I think that that helps sustain me a bit. No, let me say that for me. I am a person who believes in that. I believe in making the movement sexy. I believe in I believe in 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 a good fet, as you would put it. I believe that we we have to enjoy this because if we lose, at least we 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 you know we like the on the Titanic. We we going down. We going down. You know we going down. Might as well play the music. Play the music. Can. You know what I mean? That would have been a trendy thing to do. They'd have been like, well, that would have been a trendy thing to do. Would have still been. been like, oh, this sucks. But I guess, and they'd start playing some music and they'd just be like, you know what, this is, this is how it goes. And it's, yeah, you just fight for the, you live your life while you're fighting. If you don't do both, then you're not going to be balanced and you're going to be, you're going to get stressed out. And that happens a lot. Let me say this. Our movement has a lot of people who need to like party. Like they, they really just, do. that's the cure they for really everything. Don't folks. do that now during coronavirus. I want to put that out there. Don't be like, Natalie said it's time to jump together in a fet and, and no, 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 no. But, but they just need to have fun. Just to be, just have fun. In a like, year or so when everybody's vaccinated, hopefully we're going to see how that happens. And we are in a good place. Then you may go back, but this, yes. just be, be safe. Don't, don't be like, Oh, but we're outside. No. <laughs> Doesn't it, it counts? No, Don't no, do no, it. No, let's be yes. Let's first of all, if you're listening, make sure you wear a mask and make yes. sure you do your six feet. We are not on this show right now. I believe now. in twelve. That six feet's a lie. <laughs> a cough can go much that further. Like, we got the twelve feet. I don't believe feet. in six. Six is a lie. Sure, you are a scientist, so I guess you. No, I just they said that, they only said that because of grocery stores and stuff. It'd be hard to be more than six feet, so they just had to pick a number that could still work. <laughs> Well, I'm with you then. You got me thinking 12. I'm, I'm going to start being like, giving like virtual 12 feet hugs and be like, hey. Wave at people. 12 feet. <laughs> no, but I don't want to lose this point about about the, the movement because one thing I know that we've been seeing is that the movement has been getting unionized. Oh, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Maybe you can explain it to people who don't know what's happening with climate organizations being unionized. Yes, that That has been happening. So first of all, I want to shout out to my first union, Progressive Workers Union from Sierra Club. I was a proud member for four and a half years and a steward uh, for three of those years, three, three and a half of those years. Um, And so we've seen this across the board is that just like any sector, any any economy, you know, any work environment, it's important to have strong labor rights as well. And it's important to have, um, you know, fair contracts. And so, you know, what we're seeing across the environmental movement is for a very long time, you know, Sierra Club was the only unionized environmental nonprofit, right? Mm. And it's very large. It's very large. So it makes sense that it would be, it was like the first one. I think it, it got its union in like 92, I believe, 92 or 93. Um, and since then, it's been a movement to encourage that. And I think a reason for that, one of the main reasons I can think of, because I remember spending my 20s as a grassroots organizer, is that it's very common and accepted in the environmental nonprofit movement that you are supposed to work until you die. You are supposed to overwork. Like I had a job one time, Man, this was a grassroots organizing job. It was short term. It was for a campaign where we were expected to work every single day, 12 hours a day. And the whole campaign was going to be, let me say, May, June, July, August. So about four months. The whole campaign was going to be about four months. Mm. And it was expected that you do not have a day off Mm. for four months. That's crazy. And they said, well, we'll make an exception where Saturday and Sunday, you only have to work eight hours, but that was never even true. 
that was like your time off was those four hours. And that wasn't even true. They'd always tell you to just go do more. And I mean, one time I almost cursed at my manager and almost threw my phone on the ground, almost broke that one in half because I was like, <laughs> don't worry, that job doesn't matter anymore. But the point is, I was so mad because it was like, he was like, yeah, but you know, if you didn't meet that one goal there, you just got to keep on working. Like you were like doing petitions, canvassing, all that type of stuff. And I was like, but this is supposed to be our eight hour day. He's like, yeah, but you can't stop until you hit your, you know, the number of signed petitions for the day. But you can't control if other people are going to sign your things. You can put all your efforts, but it's still not up to you. And mm -hmm. finally, I mean, the people kept quitting. And then the people that they hired to replace the people that quit were quitting. And it was just a horrible, toxic environment. And it was just one of those things. It was it was the epitome of white supremacy and capitalism, using people and extracting from them as much as possible mm. in order to just get whatever their goals were. And that type of organizing is toxic, horrible, and you're just as bad as Exxon, because that's exactly how Exxon would treat his people if mm. he wanted to, Come you know. On, so in the end, you know. That that was just a lesson to me to show that people will exploit you and extract from you as much as possible in any any system, any environment, even in the environmental movement, because it's still built in America in, in terms of the traditional orgs. It's still built by white supremacy and you can't expect anymore than what you would get at another company that's for a profit. And so I think what we're seeing across the board in terms of unionization, which is super helpful, is that you are valuable and that you should not be treated in that same disposable way that any other corporation would treat you. Um, and so I think that the unionization is a response to that cultural shift that the nonprofit world also has to take. Um, and so that's all like my you know top level view of it um, I think it's, I think I'm glad that it's expanding because it was lonely. It's Sierra Club. We were the only one unionized. I was like, where are the others? And then other yeah, folks no. started jumping in like, yes, let's expand. And so that's, it's, it's definitely a positive, um, a, a, a positive change that's coming for sure. No, I love it. I think it's important. And I think it's important for this, this, uh, shift to be happening. I've seen it in many groups, um, from Sunrise to LCV to NRDC and others. Um, and so I'm hopeful that this will also create a space where people feel protected in those environments as well. So what we talked about earlier, as far as that toxic environment in a place where you, can, you can't speak out, that you feel protected to, to do so without being harmed, um, you know, and being put, kind of put on front street. And not even about speaking out. I think speaking out is something people do to, to make a change, but just knowing that you have a guaranteed, you know, percentage raise or yeah. some type of worker protections, um, just like all the reasons you would have a union in any other environment of a, of a, of a, of a company, um, it's just as neat. It's not, it's not needed less because it's a nonprofit. It's needed at the same level as you would if you worked for any other company in this country. Mm. No, I love it. What's about where you're at now? How's 350 doing? Oh, 350 is doing well. We are so excited for the new everything. This new year, new administration, new Congress, new, uh, everything's new. 
I feel brand new. <laughs> I feel brand new. I'm just come I on mean, now. Come on now. Let's we had stay. we had climate day that passed. We <laughs> had we have future things planned, you know, from at least the Biden administration has said he wants to do like he wants to do like a climate type summit on Earth Day. Um, I want to learn more about that in terms of ways people can get involved. I think it's just I mean, it's an opportunity to do so much. And after suffering for four hard years uh, in the previous administration, it it just feels so much better. Well, first um, explain what is Prefetti. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I jumped ahead. I was like, oh, your listeners know. Oh, but no. <laughs> but oh, 350.org is an international climate organization. So it has, it's based in several countries. I'm the United States policy director. So whoop, I'm the, whoop. yep, thank you. Thank you. I get to run the policy team for America. Yay. Uh, for 350. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, um, it's a great way to be as creative as you want to be when it comes to coming up with ideas to fix problems. You know, I think that's what makes it fun is that it's like, all right, we have this, this, and this, how are we best going to tackle it? And I think that's what I really enjoy about it. And it's a remote org. So we, we don't have a headquarters really. Like we don't like, we have like sort of a New York office, but we don't really have like a headquarters. And so we were working remotely before it was cool. Right. Everybody now is like, oh, my gosh, I live on Zoom. I'm like, yeah, that's how we've been operating for years. So we've always there are coworkers I've been working with for a long time. I've never met, <laughs> never wow. met outside of the computer <laughs> um, because and then, you know, now with coronavirus, people aren't like traveling. So anything that we might have had planned to be in person, obviously, we can't do right now. Um, but you can work remotely and be effective. You know, it also helps working from home because your commute is like a few feet. And that's very convenient. I've never, I haven't, I can't remember the last time I rode the Metro. I don't even know. That's good though. Nah. So, but I yeah. mean, but, so what do y'all have? I mean, so the fur, let me just say Hip Hop Caucus has partnered with 350 from the beginning. Like oh, from the, right. From, yeah, we were, even from what it was back then, it was something called 10, 10, 10. Uh, I think that might've been one of the first, 350 events. Oh, um, do the math, the do the math tour. Even before that, what well, before the do the math, then, then I was on the do the math tour. Oh, with yeah, me, Nomi Klein, and obviously my friend Bill McKibben. Bill, yeah, yeah, I remember that tour. Yeah, I wasn't we at 350 then, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, we would then we did do the math tour. Now, I've been around 350 for a while and I've, I've appreciated them. I mean, um, I think the 50, I, I'm so glad you're there. Um, that means a lot. I mean, Davidi is uh, last last I looked, it was predominantly it was mostly white people who were working no, there. Oh, not anymore. Oh my gosh. Okay, we we'll break it, it down over. for me. We took it over. Let me tell you. No, come on. So, give me, give me, oh, I'm so happy me, to be able to tell you this because give me okay, this skinny. So I will tell you. Okay, so I thought the same thing when I was applying back in like early 2019. I, you know, it was founded by white people, right? Um, just full disclosure. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, you know, for a long time, most of its history, it, it was founded in, it, it's like between 08 to 09, technically officially 09, but really 08. Yeah. But um, it was always, you know, just, just white folks um, for a long time because that's what the founders were. Over time, though, it started getting a little, you know, a few folks that are coming in a few years back. So when I was doing my interviewing, like 2019, middle, middle, early 2019, I said something came up about race. I can't remember what happened, but the person, one of the people interviewing me was like, well, you know, the U.S. team is now majority minority. Mm. And I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? 
And she was like, yeah, like in the last year or two, it's just become majority people of color. And I was like, I didn't know that. And then I got there and even more so now, and that was like a year and a half ago. It is the U.S. team, overwhelmingly majority people of color. Wow. The entire U.S. leadership team, which is trying to count how many people is that? Six people? You know, you just never think about those numbers. Um, Or seven people. Anyway, I'll count them in a second. Um, I actually do want to count real quick. That's amazing. It's two white folks on it, two white folks. And it's like, and it's just not, it's, it's a, it's the management is almost all people of color. The uh, staff in general are, and it's weird because I have always been in the environmental movement in predominantly white spaces, always, always been in predominantly white spaces. And, you know, like I said, you just kind of get used to it. You're like, well, you know, this is it. This is how it be. And then all of a sudden I'm on calls like this, you know, Zoom. And it's nothing but black and brown people. <laughs> Man. Now, and you I know. know, now, you know that's my, now, you know, that's my world now. So I don't know. What you, I don't really know what you're talking about, actually. Well, that's all true. Know, that's true. Hip hop. All, all I know has been around. Beautiful bubble. This all beautiful. All I know from day one. Self-created, perfect on. bubble. You're right. You're right. You probably like, well, that's my day. Like, that's, what my, you mean? that's our world here. The caucus now. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you go through, but. It's all now, majority. We ain't actually no minority. We actually we majority. Don't, you are the majority. So now it's just a totally <laughs> different experience because like, like I have a manager now who's a black Caribbean woman. <laughs> <laughs> wow. like, and I'm just like, I never saw that coming. The last time that happened was when I lived and worked in Trinidad. Like wow. <laughs> back in 08, 09. Um, that was, I had a, I had a lot of going on. My twenties were lit. I was all over the place. <laughs> so, if you're like, you lived and worked in Trinidad. I was all over the place. I was, nice. jumped out of college. I was like, here I am. No, but I mean, but, but, but that's, so I don't know when that happened. I'm glad to hear that happened. Last like three years, last two and a half, three years. That's now, let me keep, let's keep it 100. Like what we got to do, you know, this is part of the coolest show. We keep it 100. Um, I am excited to hear that for obvious reasons. One, I like 350, um, have worked with them. I think this is a great evolving. I'm glad to hear that because obviously that means it's evolving, and I res- and I think it's an amazing piece. But in that process, does that change the folks who then who been in three fifty? Do they kind of get the little church finger and go out the back door? Because sometimes what happens here is kind of like you know, it's kind of like what it was you know in, in urban communities. You have white flight, to be honest. I was and just thinking white flight in my mind. I was like, oh, that sounds like a white flight. No. Nah. They can when, go. That's okay. When black folks, well, <laughs> yes and no. It's okay, but it's it's not okay when it comes to the point where that also goes resources and infrastructure and mm. respect. So so I just want to make, I mean, as long as, as, long as that's maintaining, as long as the, yeah, that's maintaining, know. that's fine. But if people are not, if not staying around or they don't think this is their no longer, I mean, they should hopefully feel this is their organization, that nothing has changed. But if they feel like, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to go over here to this one because that's, you know, more comfortable. And, and, that, and, and they're not talking about uh, reparations and they, or they're not talking about, um, you know, gentrification. And then they're not talking about climate justice and racial justice. And I don't know that or, or anti-racist movement. 
then they they go out. They, they don't. When they, when they should stay, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. Is we need people to stay. We don't need you to, to leave. Honestly, at that I don't moment. need anybody who doesn't want to be there. Everybody who, if somebody says this org has become too diverse. I don't want to be here anymore. Kick rocks. Nobody's holding the door for you. Let it hit there you in the go. back of the head when you leave. I don't care. No, I don't need anybody who doesn't want that. doesn't want an equitable and racially diverse workspace. I feel you. No, I, they I can go you. to many, many other orgs out there who are predominantly white that they can feel comfortable in if that's the issue. If people just want to leave because they're ready to go on, that's totally fine. But if the reason in their heart is that they don't want to be there because black and brown folks have, you know, taken over, that sounds like a personal problem. That doesn't sound like a, something that affects my day in the least. Um, I don't, I don't, no, have, I, I, I don't have enough just, mental headspace to worry no. about white folks that are nervous because black and brown folks might've taken over. If they exist, I have not met them, which is probably better for the both of us because they wouldn't enjoy me. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like if white, no, folks no, no, no. I mean, it, this is why we having this conversation this is for people. We need to have this conversation. So, folks, we keep it real, and that's that's why it's important. And I mean, they we, what we need to do is find out because this is my thing. I am obviously I agree with you, hundred percent agree with you. They can, they can, they don't they you don't want to be here. Rocks. They can go. The thing though, I I just feel though is that I just know sometimes that also goes to funding, mm. and what I don't want to happen is that the same kind of funding and quote unquote platform that 350 had somehow is diminished. I'm actually just speaking that. I'm, I'm actually, and I'm actually speaking to folks who even thinking, I, I want you to explain, this is actually very important because I also know, because see, so say this, Natalie. So I am blessed in this regard. I, I mean, I'm a, in a predominantly uh, BIPOC space, mm-hmm. right? We have black, we have people who are white. I mean, the caucus. So people know that we have yeah. white people. know we have people who are white. Yeah, Mark. Mark is there. Yeah. Well, Mark. Mark was. There. We still got Liz and other people who are there. Yeah. You know, many there. in that regard. But we had we got a lot of people who are white at the caucus, and they're great. They're phenomenal. And but they also, um, they're also amazing allies. And say that. So they also know this is a space for Black, Brown, Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So. And, that, and a lot of people who are white, I don't think, could handle that, right? And oh. so that's important. Or understand black, brown, and then this leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And that's important. So I just want to say that. That's And I, and I don't, and I, this is very important. But mm-hmm. in that, the caucus is not the only ones. We have people like We Act, oh, yeah. Up, Uprose, Deep South Center, um, NWCP. I can go on and on. The groups who are like that. When we come together, what we see sometimes is that we have to work so much harder to get resources and funding. Oh, yeah. Twice as hard for half as much. Yeah. I mean, we, other folks get to put it on a napkin, and we, and we got to put together a thesis. To oh, get, yeah, because they don't trust you. Exactly. That's what I'm leading to with what I'm saying, with what where you are. I am excited that 350 is there, but the, but my, my, my fear is that unwarranted lack of trust. Mm. Well, you know, what's funny, though. I don't think people know in the public that much that 350's U.S. team is majority, majority minority. I don't think most people know that. Um, I think it's not, it's not something we've, like, 
advertised on purpose or anything. It's just sort of happened. They're like, oh, cool. But um, I don't think funders know that. I don't think people in general view 350 as that as an org that is um, majority minority in terms of at least the U.S. team, um, because historically it wasn't. It took eight years to get there of its existence that has been around for 11 years. It took eight. Actually, I think it took nine. I think it took nine years out of the 11 year history to really get to that point. And so I don't think folks see it as that because, you know, when they see the founders, obviously they see Bill McKibben as one of the main founders that they recognize. Um, and so I don't think it's really associated with being they a- They still see May, May Bowie. Yeah, May, and our May Vogue is our executive director who's, you know, who's white as well, one of the founders. And so it's not that we don't have white people in leadership. We still have a lot of white people in leadership positions as the original founders of the org. Um, so I'm not too worried about that in the end. I mean, in terms of like- would a foundation make you have to prove yourself more? Because like, you're right. It's the, it's the, it's the idea that if you are a org that is focused particularly um, on issues that affect mostly, you know, majority black and brown people, then I think, especially then funders are like, you have to work twice as hard for half as much. And that's just part of the inherent white supremacy of our country. It's just like in any other, um, when you're looking to get a job as a black person, you have to be twice as good. You have to be twice as good. And it's it's the same thing for any of to be twice as educated. And you have to like, because they're always going to. And then when you get there, even if you get through all those hurdles and jump through all those hoops, when you get there, you're still going to be watched more and you're still going to experience discrimination mm-hmm. on your first day of work before noon. And you're still going to know that you're not really like they might have let you in, but <laughs> They might have like, you know, you might have skirted in, but don't expect more. Don't expect uh, don't expect uh, to to be, you know, combined with a bunch of people. You can still maybe count on one hand how many of y'all are there. Um, and, you know, Kamala Harris said this one time. She well, she said this a few times, but this is when she said it to me because she was in a room. It was uh, June 2017. You know, she had only been inaugurated six months earlier and it was at a Higher Heights event, which is this pack that supports women of color running like for office, like women of color um, candidates. And she was a guest speaker and came in and she's, you probably have seen her say this in other spaces, but this is when she said it. And I was like, it hit me and my soul was stuck with me. She started saying, she said, I know you all know, this is a room of nothing but like mostly black women, but other women of color. She said, I know what you know, what it feels like to be there and be the only one. I know what you know what it feels like to be in that space and feeling like you have to represent for everybody because you're being, you know, watched twice as much and all that. And she said, but you need to remember something. You might be the first one there, but you will not be the last one. You better bring your sisters with you. Mm. And she was like commanding us, like, you better bring your sisters with you. And it hit me because she was speaking to everyone in that room and every single black woman in that room knew exactly what she was talking about because every single one of us was one of those people. And so she's like, it's okay to be the first. It's okay to be the pioneer, but you are not going to be the last because it is your obligation to bring your sisters with you. And so that's the kind of way I, I look at it. It's just bring, bring your sisters with you and you might have to bear the burden of being the first, but you will never be the last. No, I love that. And you have a great, uh, VP Harris voice. Actually, a VP Harris voice is actually better than a Trinidadian. <laughs> That's not a more realistic. <laughs> yeah, I could. Do, she just speaks very calm and intentional. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, I just want to be clear that I, I, as you know, even before I heard your origin story, I think you're amazing. Aww. And so, and I'm gonna be clear uh, at the Hip Hop Caucus. I, I, I want to. We build an army. 
And so yes. don't be surprised, y'all. Y'all listen to this show on the road and y'all hear Natalie induce herself in some hip hop caucus title. I'm not, I'm no, uh oh, no, no uh oh, you trying to make no, an offer? You trying to poach me on the air? Hey, listen, <laughs> they, 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 they poach us from all the time. So I, I, <laughs> I'm I'm poaching back, and you, you know what I'm email. saying. I, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting clear. Hip hop caucus. We got folks like Cross and Destiny, and and so many other folks involved. We we we, we and as black women leading the caucus, I'm proud to say that. And mm-hmm. and, and we about to we about to do it. I because I because I, I actually I I got I got a chip on my shoulder. I ain't gonna lie. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be 100. I'm gonna be. And this people can replay this, and they can say this is how Rev is. This, this is how Rev is. Rev <laughs> is in a position where listen. I've seen too many times where our groups have been suffering. Mm-hmm. I look back now at Cecil, who I believe he oh, passed Cecil. away. Yeah. You know what I mean? At we at because he had to work. He had to work so much mm-hmm. at that process, and he couldn't even see the EOs. That 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 got put forth by by, by uh, President Biden. He couldn't he couldn't enjoy it. Many of us couldn't. Many of us died and couldn't en- en- enjoy that moment. And 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 because they suffering, getting paid no money, and not being respected, and and, have, and coming to the table and being stressed out, not just having money, but just being stressed and pressed. And so, listen, I'm all with a green 2.0. People heard me all. Oh, I love green yeah, 2.0. Green 2.0. But I'm all with a green 3.0. I'm about funding black folk. Period. And stop. I'm funding. Make sure you fund folks like mm-hmm. Green Defenders and Generation Green. I got a whole list. If you want, you got, uh, 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 listen, I got a whole list. One hood. I got a list for you. A phenomenal black, brown, indigenous, the Gwichin. Uh, listen, I got a list. Gwichin, make sure you go. Gwichin of, Steering of, Committee. Of, of black, brown, indigenous people um, who who need to have resources. And I ain't talking about no, no nickels and dimes. I'm talking about fund us like, like you want us to win. Period. Fund us like mm. you want us to win. The days of funding us like you like you adding us on is, is zip, Nero. Fund like you want us to win. Money Speaking makes of, the world go round. Money makes, listen, it. cash rules everything around it, me. Yeah, it does. The, Get the we money. Alert. We dollar, dollar, dollar bill, bill, y'all. Money, power, respect, the heat of life. Listen, come oh. on now. <laughs> listen, <laughs> but no, that's real. No, so I'm just saying that, listen, the, the, the days of, so I have a, I, I'm so glad that the, I have many people who are joining the movement. Because the caucus is actually a movement. It's a movement of folks who are believing in um, how we can do something for our community. But speaking of community, speaking of the next generation, I got to ask you, because you are now a pillar in the youth climate movement. I have seen Aww. that kind of grow. No, you are. You are. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? First, explain to people uh, who don't know that there was a youth climate movement before Greta Thunberg. Yes, movement. there was. And, well, yeah. And explain that and then explain kind of where it is now. Well, I would say there's always been since the beginning of the environmental movement, it's always there's always been a youth a youth movement, right? For anything, whether it's civil rights, it's always been a youth movement. Whether it's the environment and now climate, it's there's always been a youth movement. You know, I started off in this field as a youth climate activist. That's when I, you know, when I came into that, when I came into Coalfield House and you were on stage, I was a youth climate activist. I was 22. I was fresh out of college. I had graduated that May 07. I didn't know what I was about to do in my life. Um, and so, youth climate activism is is not something that started 
started recently. It's always been. I mean, now I say I'm just a climate activist because, you know, you either age or, the, or you die. There's no in between. So, you know, I'm just I'm still in the movement in terms of the modern day sort of uh, Gen Z youth climate movement, which has sort of taken the world by storm. Right. It's heard of. I think a large part of that is that now we have social media. You know, back when I was a youth climate activist, we didn't really have like smartphones. We didn't have. Um, we didn't have the social media in the way that we do now where you can meet people in another part of the world quickly, communicate, organize, and boom. And so I think the, one of the reasons why Gen Z has been so successful, other than the fact that they're just awesome and radical and doing what they need to do, is that they have the communication tools to work together as a cohort um, and to organize worldwide. Um, and so... Yeah, I'm very proud to be a uh, adult. I'm, I'm, I'm the adult in the youth climate movement. I guess one time I met somebody. Who was it? Oh, it was Katie Eater. I was like, who was that? Um, <laughs> I remember it was the day I met Katie Eater because she was on Power Shift. She's on Power Shift board, right? So we met at a uh, board retreat 2018, 2019, 2019. What year is it? 2019. So we met the board retreat. And we realized that we had each heard of the other person from a person that we both knew. And I said, wait a second, you're Katie from L.A.? And she was like, you're Natalie, the adult? <laughs> I was like, is that what they call me? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, you're Natalie, the adult. <laughs> I was like, I guess so. <laughs> and so, um, and so I realized, you know, it's just, it was, it was all, it was all by chance too. You know, it's funny how power shift keeps coming into it, of uh, how I entered the modern day youth climate movement. Today is the, um, I see the date. Okay. So just a few days ago on January, uh, January 26th of 2018 is the day I met Jamie Margolin at the power shift network annual meeting, which was my first board retreat as a brand new board member. So I came into the movement you know, meeting you at uh, Power Shift 07, the conference. And now it was 2018 and it was the Power Shift annual meeting, which is the, all the network members come together, board and staff and everybody for a few days. And Jamie Margolin was there because she had just started up Zero Hour um, five months earlier. Hmm. And they were now a part of Power Shift Network as a network member. Um, and that's how we met. And so she asked, if I wanted to help put on a, um, if I wanted to plan a lobby day for them for part of their international day of action, which was going to be July 21st. I didn't know her at all, but I was like, sure. I like, I love lobby days. Like why not? And so I just said yes in January and then July we put on the lobby day and then all the marches around the world. And so that kind of kicked it off. Oh man. Now you're, you are, I'm going to tell you something, your work on that is is uh, that's that's when your new word, Nat Natalie the, the adult. That's Natalie new, the adult. That's, that's, that's actually gonna be like your hip hop name. You know that gonna I mean? be my name. That'll be my MC name. It's your MC name, Natalie, Natalie the adult. adult. What's I'm up? Like, yeah, What's up, y'all? We got Natalie the adult. Adult in in the, some in the bars. And um, but it's been it's been a blessing. It's been you know when I first said yes when um the way and and the only reason Jamie even asked me is that we had done intros earlier that day like in the circle like you know everyone's in the room you just kind of hi I'm so and so I'm blah 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 I'm the board and board of this and this lobbyist of Sierra Club and so she was just taking mental notes like to build her team she's like oh she said lobbyist of Sierra okay. I'm going to go talk to her and, and cause I didn't put on a lobby day, but she hadn't put on one before. She's like, boom, I'm gonna ask her. And I just said yes in a couple seconds. I didn't even know what I was saying yes to. I was like, all right. And then I joined zero hour three years ago. And, um, from there on just, just kept going. And then just a lot of things people don't know. This is funny. 
Greta Thunberg started striking in August 2018 because she was actually working on one of the sister marches that was going to be in Stockholm, Sweden Mm. for Zero Hour. Zero Hour had a march in Washington, D.C., July 21st, 2018, and in 25 cities around the world. And Greta was working with some people in Stockholm to put on a zero-hour sister march, right? Because they had sister marches all over the world. She eventually decided not to bother with the march, but instead wanted to do her own action. So a month after the march, she said, I'm going to sit outside and start out of parliament to strike. And she wrote Jamie on social media and introduced herself and was like, hi, this has inspired me. I really love that young people are doing this. I want to join in too. Would you guys like to join me in striking and skipping school every Friday? And we remember reading the message and we were like, y'all, y'all skip school every Friday. That's, y'all are going to fail out of school. Oh my God. So they decided, they're like, man, we got a lot of AP and IB classes here. We can't just be skipping school every Friday. So they were like, I don't know if we can really join you in skipping school, but let's talk and meet and we can plan together. And so she started striking because she was inspired by Zero Hours Youth Climate March on July wow. 21st, 2018 and hit Amazing. up Jamie. Like you inspired me to start taking action. You showed me that young people do care about this issue. I want to start something. I'm going to start skipping school every Friday. And that is how the whole global strikes movement started. Wow. I know. That's a fun fact. That's that's a great, that's a great fact. Yeah. So very proud of that. So I know, so man, this time went so fast. I got like two more questions for you. And well, first I want us to do this. You also have your own podcast. Talk about that. And what I want us to do sometime very soon, I want us to actually maybe bring like a whole convening mm-hmm. of all of the folks who are in the Gen Z and some millennials. And let's let, let's let's create a, a conversation. Absolutely. I would love that. I, I would love that. Yeah, intergenerational. Because okay. you're Gen X, right? You're Gen X. I'm I'm probably I'm almost a boomer. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, no, you're Gen X. I am Gen X. I'm Gen. You're Gen X. I'm an old millennial. Um, that's what I call them. I'm like old millennial and then Gen Z. Yeah. So I do have a podcast. It's called Our Future Now. Um, I'm the co-founder, one of the founders of the National Children's Campaign, which is a nonprofit focused on advocating for America's 74 million children and youth. And so I'm a co-host with Jonah Gottlieb, who is an excellent, excellent host. He's a youth activist as well. He's 18. Um, and together we tag team it, you know, he's, he's a great policy wonk. Like he's so in the weeds, like he loves policy so much and he's so talented and it's really an honor to be able to host a show with him. Um, so if you get, check it out, it's our future. Now it's on all podcast stations that you would get it. Love it. So definitely subscribe. No. And I'm, we definitely going to connect. We definitely going to connect and do a joint project together. I would, I would love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, I'm down. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's work. Okay. Let's cool. That's going to come. So let me ask you just two, I got this, these are my two questions. So one, um, on the policy wonk side, you have advocated for a youth advisory council to be part of uh, Biden's administration. Yes. Why is that important and why is that needed? I think that, you know, a lot of people put Biden in office, right? A lot of people work together to overturn, you know, over, I'm gonna say overthrow Trump, right? A lot of people. And part of the people that put him there are, of course, climate activists and young people, right? And I think that uh, it took that full effort to get him there, that these are just one of many constituencies that he really needs to pay attention to in making sure that their issues and voices are heard. And so luckily, I actually learned a short time ago that he does have a youth um, engagement 
engagement director who I actually got to meet with earlier, um, who is excellent, who is really working hard to, to really make youth voices heard. And then as we were kind of brainstorming and stuff, and I've been talking about this with a lot of the youth I work with, is that I think it's really important to actually have a formal role and position that youth can take part in, in the, in the org, I'm not in, sorry, in his administration. And so we've kind of thought about, you know, if he created an advisory council for different issue areas, it could be based on departments like the Department of the Interior, Department of State, Attorney General's office. And it might be like, okay, well, what young people are going to have enough experience to be in those spaces? I don't think it's about you have as much experience as the Secretary of State. But if you know you have a very internationally focused mind, foreign relations mind, and you want to advocate for young people, I think there should be a space within the Secretary of the State's office to have young people present and to have them actually work on issues from the perspective that they come with. What I've learned from being the adult, right, in the youth climate movement is you don't see what you don't see and you don't know what you Mm. don't know. I will always view things as a, you know, older millennial because I grew up born in 85, grew up through the 90s. There's a certain mindset that I'm going to have because of my own experiences. I remember when climate change was discussed when I was a kid, but nobody was really terrified. I remember being in high school and being like, oh, this is serious, but not feeling impending doom. And now I talk to kids who are, you know, my age, who were my age back then and who now are like, every day I think about the impending doom. I don't know why I'm even studying for a career if I'm not even going to have a future. And I didn't have that fear and that terror when I was in high school and college. I was just like, I need to find a job and get some money. But I wasn't like is the world going to exist? (laughs) And I think that that different mindset, it affects you in a way that you don't even know. And so the reason why I think intergenerational organizing is so important is that if you don't, if you're not intergenerational, you are going to miss a large part of the work and the pie. You're going to miss the, you're going to miss a slice of your, Mm. of the, of the world. And so I think the Biden administration has very qualified adults But if it doesn't incorporate the voices and the perspectives of young people, of youth, it's not going to see the whole picture. And that's what I've learned from it. So I am very happy, though. They do have a youth outreach director who I've met with, um, Hannah Bristol. She's excellent. And uh, planning on still meeting with her, of course, in the future. And we'll see what we can plan, see what we can put together. Yeah, I love it. So my last question usually is around culture, which you kind of... We kind of we kind of did culture in the beginning. Can we oh, talk yeah. about <laughs> our, our got to start with the important things. You got to start with no. The we do. That actually <laughs> was very important. We got to talk about that curry goat and and Trinidad and carnival and all of that good stuff and and your wonderful uh, actually your wonderful uh, VP Harris accent and your okay oh, you <laughs> and your okay Trinidadian accent. My family's also Jamaican and Vincentian too. Oh, I didn't know that. So my grandmother's Jamaican. My grandfather's from St. Vincent. Um, they met in England, though, World War II. Beautiful story. Anyway, um, but <laughs> they got married. No, I actually have no roots in Trinidad. It's funny. Grandmother's Jamaican, always been Jamaican for years and generations. Grandfather's been sentient, same thing. They met in England during World War II. A lot was going on at the time, you know. Um, fell in love in a month. Got engaged. My dad, my grandfather moved to Canada to do some tropical medicine degree thing. Didn't see each other for a year. Got mm. married in Jamaica and then decided to move to Trinidad because it was like the economics were just better at the time. So they just decided to move to Trinidad and that's how we got to Trinidad. Wow. But everyone else in the family is actually Jamaican or Vincentian. 
That's and we have like right? we a couple have... Trini family members, like my aunt and cousins and mom. <laughs> That's it. Well, you know, so you probably know this. People don't, you know, because you used to go to my dad's house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Before the it, pandemic. Yeah. No, no, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> but people don't know. I use Rev for that very reason. So people always say that's it's Rev. But people don't know. It's actually, I use Rev because I'm a junior. And so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. By that's being right. a junior, junior seems. And people on Trev will call you junior. 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 Wow. <laughs> In that aspect. <laughs> and they would tell you junior. And so I use Rev. And also my dad, you know, was uh, taught. Uh, at Howard University, yeah, for many years, also was a lawyer um, in that aspect, and so, and then he was in the Olympics. He was in the Olympics. Yes. So this is a what? fun fact. Yeah. So my actually that's that's how we. So that's how. So the fun fact is that my dad was in the '68 Olympics, and what? he saw um, for Trinidad. Yeah, actually was a world record holder. What? Yes. And so hey, my mom knows this because they met in the '70s at Howard. Yes. Well, that's when he was, that's when he would have been there, like, teaching or working and teaching or that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. But before that, he he, he came here to this country um, because he came to the, with the Olympics. And he saw uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith raise their fist. Mm. And that so moved him. Because he was like, wow, those are some crazy Americans. <laughs> and he was like, I got I to, gotta, and it was obviously the year Dr. King was assassinated. Yeah. And so he wanted to come here. And then he used to run, obviously, track. He didn't have a high school diploma because people don't know. In the Caribbean, you had to go through all these, you had to pay. And if you're really yeah. poor, and he was from a very poor family at the time, um, you had to, like, pay to, like, you know, get your degrees, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when you, whatever you can no longer pay, you just stop. So he worked in the prison yards. So anyways, mm. what happened here, he never had his high school degree. This is why I love black colleges, though. Because when he came, Grambling let him come to the school to run track without any kind of degree. Wow. Um, and because that's how we did it. Like, no, you, we, we bring you in. Obviously, he could, you know, he was smart and he came in. Wow. And that's how, and that then is how I was born um, in, okay. in Louisiana. And that's and how that, you grew up in, in, uh, in Louisiana. Yeah, that was the first, that was the Louisiana. That I see. Wow, there's so much. I don't you know if my mom knows this. I'm going to text her later yeah. and let her know. And be like, did you know? <laughs> yeah, no. Lennox was a track star in the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. She'd be like, really? Like, she, because they met at Howard in the 70s. Yeah, when yeah. he came to work. Because then he, yeah. then he came, came to teach. She came, came up for grad school. She That's where she met my dad, who was at Howard, too. He was in med school at Howard. And that's yeah. how they met. That's how I got here. Yeah, Howard, um, how, Howard, keep it. Howard, Howard, Howard created me. Howard created like, <laughs> <laughs> me. Yeah. Introduced, it introduced my parents. Um, and then my sister went to Howard, too. She graduated in 04. Let me say, Howard created a lot of people. Howard created a lot of people. <laughs> Howard created the culture. Howard Howard brought the world together. That's Listen, Howard from D.C., because Howard. <laughs> no, that's all facts. Uh, wow. But let me ask you this last question. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, it's one that I just want your thoughts now. And it's, um, I've asked this question to a lot of the young people. On who come on the podcast. And this is kind of the thing. The question is, as a Black person, but also a person in climate, if you can go to bed tonight and you can have like this magic wand, this special gift, in which you can clap away either um, racism or white and white supremacy mm-hmm. or the climate crisis, and tomorrow it would be gone. In other words, you mm-hmm. go to bed tonight and you clap. 
and either white supremacy is gone or the climate crisis is gone. And mm. the next morning, we wouldn't even know it. It would just be gone. Which one would you clap away? Only That's one. Interesting. Because I feel like they are the same thing. So one influences the other. Because um, if there was no white supremacy, we would still have to change our economy to match what our ideals were. Huh. But then, okay. The real, okay, I would pick climate change because climate change is something that is based in science that we cannot just change overnight. We don't have, mm. we, we, can, we can choose to change our energy systems. We can change how we do things. But in the end, climate change is already here. It's already, it's already in, you know, we're at like what, 1.1 degrees right now Celsius, and we're trying to stay below 1.5. It's something that is already baked in and happening and is already killing people. Racism kills people too, obviously, right? But it's, it's already baked into the, to what we're experiencing. And right now we're just trying to keep things from getting horribly worse to prevent the collapse of humanity. So racism is something that we choose and that we could unchoose. It's something that's taught. It's something that's passed on. And we could make the conscious decision to stop if we wanted to. We actually have control as, a, as humanity over racism. Whereas climate change, because it's already here, we don't have control over it. And it's only going to get you know, worse. And in terms of the people that suffer the most from climate change, it is always... Um, those least able to combat it, which are the you know minorities in different countries, which are the poorest uh, people in any country, which are black and brown people around the world in terms of discrimination. So climate change hits black and brown communities hardest and first, and it always has and it always will because it's, it's set up that way that you're going to insulate yourself with power if you can. Um, so I would say I would pick climate change because it would actually help eliminate the discrimination that we have, which is where do we put a pipeline? Where do we put a power plant? And that is all environmental racism. And so if we didn't have climate change, that means that we have zero fossil fuels. And if we didn't have fossil fuels, some of the worst effects of environmental racism, like Cancer Alley in Louisiana, would not exist. And so it would actually clear up a lot of problems that we currently have. We'd still have people be mean to you and still have people try to hold jobs from you. You'll still have people treat you terribly because that's the human condition that we're in of racism. But at the same time, if we break down some of the kind of systemic barriers that climate change presents and environmental racism presents, we would be much better. We'd be, we'd be way ahead. That is the horrible question. Why would you ask me that? That is so difficult. And that is Natalie <laughs> Meebank, our guest today. She is the United States Policy Director for 350.org. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. You know.